As you know, we have begun a new thematic year. Hey guys, uh, the back of our our case is off, so uh, just watch for it. That houses the batteries, so FYI. Something's not right? You can't hear me? Help make it right, guys and gals. Is that better? No? Oh, that's better? Not only do can I not hear, I don't listen either. <laughs> I thought Kathy would for sure say, amen, preach it. <laughs> and Mark, you said uh, uh, there's no uh, music uh, in our uh, current culture. Had you forgotten rap music? <laughs> oh, my. As you know, we've begun our new thematic year, 2022-23, the RBBC year of being members one of another. This is based on Romans 12.5 and will be highlighted many times this year, preached on various ways in the next 12 months. And God in his word makes it clear that he intends his people to be involved with one another. In fact, it's not going to happen by accident. If we're going to be the church or continue to be the church God has designed us to be, uh, it will happen if we are intentional and uh, we're involved in one another's lives. Not in a mechanical way. Not because it is our theme, it's prescribed or any such thing. But that there's truly a heart-to-heart, a person-to-person interpersonal involvement in one another's lives. The body of Christ is not only an organization, and we, we are very organized here. We, uh, we have structure. We have committees, uh, uh, and those committees are filled with warm bodies who function, who actually do the job. Uh, we have set times for various um, times of services, and we have uh, very uh, clear, uh, definite programs and the like. So, yes, we are organizational, But we are also an organism in that we live, we breathe, we move, we function, and we have shared lives together. We're a spiritual community, not based on age, skin coloring, gender, education, socioeconomic level. We are one in Christ. And if you'd make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this particular text seems to lay out the theology of being members one of another, maybe as well as any passage uh, in Scripture. It's important for the health of the church that we function in this way. And this text divides nicely into four points if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members... In all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Greeks, whether we be bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? 
But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts, unattractive parts, have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, no division, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of the tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, please remember the overall picture of 1 Corinthians, as well as 2 Corinthians, is one of correction and scolding. The Apostle Paul doesn't do a lot of affirming to the Corinthians because they were a mess. They had about every problem uh, known to all the church, rest of the churches combined uh, was going on at Corinth. And so, although chapter 12 seems to be an uplifting, affirming text, it's basically saying you all are not functioning this way, especially toward the end. Now, get it right and get with it. This is what a healthy church is, and you all are not that. And so, understand, it's really a scolding which is going on throughout the entire uh, book of 1 Corinthians for the number of things that they got wrong. But we can take that, we can take that correction, that upbraiding, that scolding that the Apostle Paul is bringing by the Spirit of God to the church of Corinth, and we can see the theology uh, of the church, the theology, uh, the theological basis of being members one of another. Four points with some subpoints. if you're taking notes. First of all, we see in verses 12 and 13 the unity of the body of Christ. And this point is emphasized throughout the New Testament. The church is made up of folks from various languages, uh, uh, ethnicities, nations, people groups, Jew, Gentile. The middle wall uh, partitioning uh, uh, has come down. So whatever has divided people groups, that in Christ has come down because we are unified in him. All believers are, to the degree that it actually specifies it in three particular ways here in our text. First of all, in verse 12, it says that we are one body, for the body is one. It couldn't be more clear. And really, it's bringing us a simple, very simple, easy to understand analogy between the physical human body and the spiritual body of Christ. I have one physical body, you do as well, and the church is one body in Christ. I have billions of parts. If you count every individual cell 
in your body, you have billions of members of your body or billions of parts. We have billions of cells in our body. So too, the church throughout the church age has had billions, I presume, of parts uh, uh, in that one body of Christ. And so the presentation of this passage of the physical body of the individual illustrates the spiritual body of Christ clearly telling us that just like every one of my cells in my body needs to be able to function if I'm going to have the optimum health that I desire, so too if the church, and specifically the local church, because this was written to Corinth, uh, the Corinthians, to a local church, so too uh, must that local church have members in that body who are functioning. John MacArthur said it correctly. He wrote, a Christian who does not have a ministry, that is, you're not serving your your cell is not working in a particular way is not uh, functioning it's a contradiction because that's not a healthy body now of course this is not saying that uh, a non-functioning believer is lost or he loses his salvation it simply means that he or she is not contributing to the overall health of the body and that's an absurd thing you don't want to have it no one would want that none of us would say uh, i i prefer that um, my ligament not work any longer. Believe me, you don't want that with a t- maybe a ligament, not a tendon. I can tell you that. You don't prefer that uh, uh, because your body limps along. And so we understand the unity in, in the body of Christ is because we really are one body. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 says uh, we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, and God ordained that that we should walk in that. In fact, this word, uh, we are his workmanship, is the, is the word from which we get the English word poem or poetry. We are his uh, visible, audible poem. We're his masterpiece. We are his artwork. And in being that, uh, it means that I need to function in a way which rightly, correctly represents the artist. Amen? Do you all follow that? That's who we are. We've been created toward that end. And uh, we're to function that way. So we are one body. Also, there's been one baptism at the first part of verse 13. And it's a passive voice, uh, that particular verb or participle, I'm not sure which it is. Um, We were all baptized. And so um, it's it's not a physical thing because this is a spiritual body. So we've been physically placed in, baptized, immersed into the body and really it correlates with Ephesians 4 5 which says there's one Lord one faith one baptism it's not water baptism that you uh, experience in our baptistry it is spiritual baptism that the spirit of God uh, takes you and immerses you into the body of Christ and to make it even more clear uh, Galatians three twenty seven says we have been baptized into Christ. So uh, every true believer is baptized in the Spirit at the moment of salvation. Uh, It's not a later special work or anything like that. If you are saved, by definition, you have been baptized into the body of Christ. Robert Gromacki helps us here, and he says, the baptism of the Spirit, therefore, is not a post-conversion experience to be sought by all and to be achieved by some, There is no command in Scripture to be baptized in the Spirit. All believers were baptized 
at the point of their conversion. And so uh, our charismatic friends, our Pentecostal friends, just simply are flat wrong on this when they teach uh, the baptism of the Spirit is a second blessing, something to seek after salvation. You've come to know Christ, now uh, desire, pursue being baptized in the Spirit. No, if you've come to know Christ, you have been baptized, and it's passive voice. He baptized you. He immersed you into his body. And so we have one baptism. So there is, again, there's the unity. One body, uh, one, bapti- uh, one baptism of the Spirit baptizes you, immerses you, dumps you into the body of Christ. You become that living cell within the body. And thirdly, we see at the end of verse 13, one bestowment. Notice at the end of verse 13, <clears throat> um, and uh, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. Not only did the Spirit of God baptize us into the body of Christ, we also receive Him <clears throat> to reside in us. We take, <clears throat> excuse my voice, we take a deep drink of the Spirit of God at the point of salvation and we take Him in. He comes in and abides with us. Romans 8 9 expands on this. It says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he, that person, is none of his. You don't belong to him if the Spirit of God does not indwell you. And 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have of God? So there is unity. By definition, theologically, there is unity in the body of Christ Unity among believers because there is one body. We've been baptized, immersed into him, and uh, we have been bestowed, endued with the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And then we see in verses 14 through 21, within that body, (laughs) yes, there's unity, but there's also profound diversity. And that's the same as my physical body. I have muscle cells. I have nerve cells, I have bone cells, and as do you. So uh, it's one body. You have one physical body, but within that body, there's, there's a myriad of diversity, uh, maybe even uh, uh, not possible to calculate how much diversity there is. <clears throat> what does this text teach us? Verses 14 to 21. First of all, in verse 14, that there are many types of members. That's the theology. It's wanting us to teach one body, um, but many members. Not just one member, but many members. And I tell you, folks, I am so thankful for the wonderful diversity uh, in the body of Christ. And I don't say that because that's what we have. Therefore, I need to be a company man. I need to be a team player uh, uh, and, just, and, and then jump on the bandwagon. I literally say that because that's what we have and what we experience. And it is something uh, to, uh, uh, to enjoy, to praise God, to thank the Lord that we have a blend of all ages. Our membership is not cookie cutter. We have all the ages, tiny to 90, um, we have, um, we're multi-ethnic, we're, we're multi-national, we're international, we're multilingual here. We have families who educate their children through homeschool, through private school, through, uh, through public school. We have white-collar, blue-collar, technical people. The diversity that we have here is to the glory of God, and it's for our good 
Because it's easy to become very short-sighted if it's just all of us. If it's a bunch of 60-year-old white guys, uh, that doesn't represent, like me, that's why I use that illustration, uh, that doesn't represent the overall kingdom of God, amen? And to a great degree, I mean, you're going to go, uh, you're going to uh, uh, search far and wide to see as much diversity. Now, when I say diversity, uh, I don't mean relative to moral issues, of course. We hold to one faith once delivered to the saints. We, uh, we uh, uh, tenaciously hold to doctrinal purity and, uh, and, and holiness in life and, uh, and all the rest, but diversity among people groups and, and all the rest. Uh, we look much more like heaven than most places do. And, and that's not to their shame. It's just simply how God has put us together. Amen? And, and so if it wasn't like that and, and we were still serving the Lord, praise the Lord. Maybe there's, uh, you go to Haiti, uh, there's not a lot of differences. The church is there and I've been there, preached there six times. Um, they do look to a great degree because that's their culture right there. Uh, it's not like they have people from all over the different uh, countries uh, coming there. And so uh, that's not shame on you if it's not like that. It's just I rejoice that here at Redbridge we have many different types of members. And it's very similar to uh, how your body is, different types of functioning parts. And then verses 15 through 21 tell us that there are multiple types of ministries which are, are going on. The argument in these verses is not the number of the parts, but the diversity or the variety is another way to say it. A variety. Now, how many livers do you have? You have one liver. And how many fingers do you have or did you have at one time? In most cases, you've had how many? Ten. But one is not any more important than the other necessarily. Uh, if, you're a, uh, if you're a violinist, <clears throat> if you're a pianist, uh, it's helpful to have all ten of your digits, right? Um, it's not as important for me to have that. Uh, in either case, it's important to have the liver, although, uh, you know, some live with less than, uh, than a full complement of liver cells uh, for various reasons. You understand the point. We're not the same. There's variety. Awana is important. The choir is important. One is not more important than the other. It's just different. Serving on the missions committee uh, or serving in preschool, Sunday school, Neither one is any more important or any less important, but clearly different. And so what I'm to learn from that is there's no room for being prejudiced. There's no room for being jealous in the body. In fact, if you'll notice in verse 19, it says that, and if they were all one member, where would the body, in order for the body to function, it must have different types of members doing different types of jobs. You know, your body will cease to function if just one type of the member wasn't functioning. For instance, the nerve cells. If your brain stops to function, the, all your muscles, all your tendons, all your ligaments, <clears throat> all your bones can be perfectly healthy, and yet the overall body is going to be severely affected. Isn't that right? Uh, or your cardiac muscle uh, and, and, and the like. And so uh, we understand that there are many different types of ministry, all important, um, all necessary for a healthy body. So there's unity in the body, one body, not many bodies, one body uh, baptized into that and bestowed or endued by the Spirit of God living with us and diversity within the body. Thirdly, we see the priority 
of the body. In verses 22 to 26. And I, I, I got to thinking about this. What or who? <clears throat> what's the most important part of your physical body? Of your physical body, what is the most important? Uh, some would say, someone would say, well, the brain. Well, okay. But what if your heart was rotten? You're going to limp along at best. Or uh, the brain, but what if uh, your spinal cord uh, simply uh, was severed or was not functioning? Or somebody, might, uh, somebody else might say the heart. Okay, uh, well, what if uh, n- neither kidneys uh, worked at all uh, and there wasn't any such thing as dialysis? You're going to limp along for a few days. Y- you follow the argument? And so the priority, of course, is Christ the head. Uh, but when we're talking about the body, is it the pastor? Is it the deacon? Is it the Sunday school teacher? Is it the committee member? What or who is the priority? And here's the answer. The priority of the body is the body. Y'all hear that? It's the whole kit and caboodle. (laughs) I know what a kit is. I'm not sure what a caboodle is. But it's the whole thing because any of it being injured means that all of it is going to limp along. My physical body has, has some infirmity going on. As you know, as I said, uh, uh, 40% of my uh, uh, right Achilles tendon, it's not there. It's disintegrated. It's not like it can be repaired. Uh, it's not like I can have therapy. It's not there. The MRI shows it is gone. It's been eaten up o- o- over the years. And so when I have the surgery, I'm going to be out of commission. I know that the, the records say that. And... It's going to affect the overall function of all of me. And so uh, with with you and with me, when the body of Christ, when we're healthy, wow, we're accomplishing all that God wants us to accomplish. And when not, then uh, it's problematic. So verses 22 and 23 tell us there are not any disposable parts. Every part is important. No one in the church is elevated to a degree, uh, over someone else, because um, no one is, uh, 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 no one can say, I'm irreplaceable. I am so important here that I'm irreplaceable. Now, Mark, don't listen to this part. I have said to folks, uh, Kathy has, uh, has heard me say this, that I really sense a huge difference uh, when Mark is not here and leading in worship. Can you identify with that? Amen? You grateful for his ministry? One of these days, he's going to drop dead. He's just going to die if the Lord doesn't call his church home. You say, wow, that is very blunt. Uh, Okay, he's going to expire pleasantly one day. (laughs) Um, And I am too. Right, Mark, aren't you? Don't be mad at me. That's what's going to happen, right? If, if the Lord does not snatch his church away, no one is irreplaceable. You can be replaced, but you're not to be thrown away, and you're not to throw yourself away. God can use anything that he chooses. He used a donkey one time. So certainly, uh, um, there aren't any irreplaceable part, but nor are there any disposable parts either. He has you uh, as a part of the body for a reason. We are important to one another. The body is weak when we're not functioning in the way God designed. 
Now, it's going to sound self-serving a bit. I'm, I'm making a point. I am not the only minister here. What's the word minister mean? Serve, servant. I'm not the only one. Folks, uh, we need, the body of Christ in America needs to once and for all get rid of Romanism. To get rid of the Holy Father has to touch it, has to come and sprinkle holy water on it, or there hasn't been any ministry that goes on. That's Romanism. You are a saint. You are a kingdom of priests. And therefore, you minister in the the same way. Not in the same way, but you minister as importantly as do I. You are to visit. You are to pray. You are to witness. You are to serve. You are to give. You are to go. You are to be one who serves in the body. No throwaway parts, but also there's no prima donnas. And I am so thankful God has spared us from that. Uh, I pray we never experience experience jealousy over one another uh, in gifts or in talents or in in, uh, any such thing. Now, how can you tell? How might you tell if you, you are prone to that? As verses 24 to 26 says... Don't, don't uh, imagine that become your, because you're not. And that, that idea in verse 24, look at verse 24. Our comely parts have no need that is our attractive. And really it's the idea of the high profile. The high profile parts don't need any special recognition. High profile parts, i.e. your eyes, your face, your hands, your hair for some of you. Uh, you don't need any, that, those things don't need any special recognition. They get all the glory they need. It's the less high profile, the more uh, uh, um, remote parts, the parts that aren't out there for show and tell. Those are the ones which are important. Now think about this. Can you function without your eye, without your hands, without your hair, right, 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 without perfect teeth? Can you function and live uh, and make a difference? But try, and those are your showy parts. But try doing that uh, without liver, without heart, without brain. The non-showy parts. You see, we, we, we bestow great honor on the non-showy parts because those are the parts which are critical for overall health. And similarly, in the body of Christ, we have non-showy parts. Those who are getting the work done. Uh, The missionaries on the field that maybe you think about once a year at the missions conference. Or the workers in extended care uh, with the babies. Or the person attending the parking lot right now making sure the cars are not being stolen and broken into. Or the audiovisual people uh, who are are up there. You guys awake up there, aren't you? Raise your hand to me. Okay, you are. Good. Uh, It's that type of folk that... They're the, one, they're the mitochondria of the cell. What's the mitochondria? What is it? Say it loud. Powerhouse. Getting the job done in the body of Christ. So there are not any prima donnas. I get a lot of attention. Uh, more attention than what I need and I deserve um, because there are not to be any prima donnas. And I say that genuinely. Don't don't look to me. Don't look to Mark Sailor. Don't look to your deacon as, wow, 
everything rides on you. Oh no, I will fail you. I don't want to, uh, but just human nature says that, that it'll happen. But the head of, of the body, look to him, for he won't fail you. Amen? <clears throat> I ministered one time years ago with, uh, with a man who thought pretty highly of himself and his abilities. And I pulled him off the side after a while, and I whispered, I said, you know, if the truth were known, both of us, I meant he and I, are profoundly average. (laughs) We're just average. When I'm dead and gone, you all will remember me for a little while. A few people will, a a year from now, or a year from when it happens, will will reflect on that. But I'm not going to be remembered 50 years from now. You're not going to be remembered 50, right? Isn't that right? And so in the body of Christ, no prima donnas are allowed. And I'm so thankful that's the case. In fact, we're given a command at at the end of verse 25 that we should have the same... Since there's no prima donnas, since there's not to be any division in the body even though Corinth had tons of division. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. There's not to be that. Shame on you, Corinthians, that you had that. You should have the same care one for another. And so when you pray for me, when I have surgery in a month, pray for others who are battling issues. Amen? Um, And when when, uh, you are down and out, physically, financially, whatever it might be, we're to care for one another because there are no disposable members and there are not any prima donnas. You matter, I matter. We're important to the Lord and to his work. Amen. So, fourthly, not only is there unity and great diversity and uh, the priority is the whole body, there's sovereignty over the body. Verses 27 to 31. Now I'm not going to exegete this uh, and, and get in because there's, you can unpack verses 27 to 31 uh, for, in multiple messages. But this is Christ's church. He is the head. He has sovereign control. He's the one who moved upon the hearts of people uh, 60 years ago in 1962, uh, and then it spilled over into 1963 from Bethany Baptist here in Kansas City up north to plant a church in the pasture land of the south. There wasn't anything around here at that time, hardly at all. Ruskin Heights uh, had been uh, uh, built and developed, but then it was leveled practically entirely in 1957 with a tornado, right? Uh, I was two months old uh, at that time. Lived through the tornado, thank the Lord. And, but there just wasn't hardly anything but a local, uh, thriving, Bible-believing, Christ-preaching, evangelistic, local church right here on this corner, when this corner was nothing other than just pasture land. God laid that upon their hearts. He's the one in uh, uh, sovereign control. And in the course of those 57, 58, 59, first we were a chapel for two years and then constituted as a church in 1965 in the fall. Uh, God has used this body to produce all kinds of fruit uh, over the decades to God be the glory. He has sovereign control over his body. Therefore, bloom 
where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Verses 27 through 30 says, He has put the apostles and the prophets and the teachers, and He uh, is the one uh, who's given all these gifts and and the like. And you don't all do the same thing. You don't all have the gift of healing. You don't all have the gift of language. You don't all interpret that He told the Corinthians. We're not all the same. There's significant diversity in gifts and talents and desires and experiences. And since God has sovereignly made this body look, you see, there aren't any two people in world history who are exactly alike. Uh, Brother Sailor, you and your twin brother, your identical twin brother, John, you don't have the same fingerprints. Is that right? Your fingerprints could, by an expert, could absolutely be distinguished one from the other. Now, that's as close as you can get as identical twins, I presume. And, uh, and yet, you're not the same. And similarly, in the body of Christ, we don't look alike, we don't speak alike, we don't act alike, we don't have the same preferences and styles and desires and experiences and all the rest, but we've been planted here. So bloom where you're planted. Wherever that might be, whatever God has for you, the issue is not ability. Well, I can't sing like Sierra, or I can't, whatever it might be, um, teach like Ray Beeson, who's an excellent Bible teacher, and, and on and on. I can't do that, therefore, woe is me. No, it's not ability, it's availability. What can you do? Who can you be? And who are you to be in the body of Christ? It's not being winsome, it's being willing bloom where you're planted and then finally verse 31 emphatically says and if you uh, if you would exegete the greek you would find out that it is saying hey corinthians the grass is not greener on the other side in the english translation it sounds like it is saying you should covet the best gifts you corinthians You need to really uh, jump in and crave and desire the very best showy gifts. You need to really go after the gift of languages or interpretation or miracles or whatever it might be. That is not even remotely what it's saying. Remember, it is scolding them. He is saying, you're one body. You're not to do exactly the same thing. Shame on you, Corinthians, because you are lusting after the showy gifts. He is scolding them strongly. Is it rational to think the Apostle Paul would say, we're all different, there's diversity, but I want you to really pursue and long for and covet after the showy gifts. Of course, that's not what he's saying. It's a denunciation. He's saying, shame on you for passionately pursuing the limelight. Now, that is consistent with the letter to the Corinthians. And so he truly gave them an upbraiding, saying, shame on you for what you are doing. You're doing this, but I want to show you the more excellent way at the end of verse 31. And what is that more excellent way that he's going to show them? What is it, loud? Love, chapter 13. You all follow the exegesis there? Shame on you for 
chomping at the bit for the showy, high-profile gifts, preaching, music, whatever it might be, or those spiritual gifts that are listed. But I want to show you a, a more excellent way. <clears throat> you have all you need in Him. You're baptized in the body. You're filled with the Spirit. You've been given gift, a gift or gifts. You have a function. You have a role. And the theology of mem- being members one of another means I'm going to live out that role that he has sovereignly ordained for me in a way which brings him glory and blesses you. Now, I want that for my life, and I want that for your life toward me, toward one another, and then relative to evangelism toward the world. Find out, if, if you haven't already, what that is for you. Get busy doing it. If you're not doing it already, find a place of service. Find a place of sacrifice where you will be stretched, where you will say, uh, God, whatever you want. And it sure looks like it's this area, so here I go. I'm jumping in by faith, not holding back. What is it that William Borden, Borden of Yale, the missionary, uh, said, who only lived to be 26, 27 years old on his way uh, to the mission field? Caught encephalitis, contracted encephalitis, I think it was, and died. When uh, he could have inherited the family fortune, he said, no reserves. And when they tried to talk him out uh, of going to the field, just finance a dozen missionaries. He said, maybe he said no retreat first. Maybe that's what he said, no retreat no reserves. And what did he say on his deathbed as a, a man in his 20s that had all of his life in front of him? What was the final thing he said? No regrets. Oh my. That'll make you shout. That'll make you want to build a building. That'll make you want to tear one down. That'll make you want to do something for the cause of Christ to see a healthy body, whatever it might be. You remember the Clairol commercial of the 60s? I think it was Clairol. You only have one life to live. You might as well live it as a blonde. (laughs) They were selling bleach. I I had blonde hair. I thought that was a pretty good line. You might as well live it as a blonde, so buy some of our hair bleach. You only have one life to live. He ought to live it as a servant of the Most High. And I mean letter rip. No holding back. No reserves. No retreat. No regret. And whatever that will look like in your life, God knows. God saved me from judging you and you from judging me on what that is to be. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word, the theology of being a member one of another, and all the mess that Corinth was, you used them to show us what not to be doing, who not to be, and how we can be a part of a healthy body as members one of another. The same care one for another, the same desire to glorify you in all that we are and all that we say and do. And so, Lord, use this in all of our hearts. Anyone uh, watching by way of internet, 
Lord, you'd move on that heart to jump in, get involved in a local Bible-believing church, to serve you, to know you through faith in Christ. And so use this, your, this text in all of our lives to spur us on to love and good works for your glory, Lord Jesus, in your name.